Welcome to the weekly reboot, your Friday debrief of things we've heard and seen coming from the Agile community here in Melbourne and beyond. Today we've got Danielle Moorhead here, who we work with a lot at Reboot Co. And Danielle's just going to tell us a bit about what she does. Uh, hello. I work helping develop products and software and also I help teams and organisations with sort of Agile and Lean and um, changing up processes to be better um, in this new new day and age. And do you do a little something a bit special on Fridays generally? Uh, Fridays and evenings and lots of other times. Um, so I moonlight as somebody, a contributor to an open source project called the Open Food Network. An open source project where a big group of us around the world who were trying to create software for local food enterprises, producers or food hubs or just small, small people trying to do good food, local food, um, and give them software tools to be able to do so because software is expensive and they can't afford it. Okay, first off, I just want to spruik a role that Jay Hyatt has at Invato. He has the role for a delivery coach open at the moment. We've talked about them a lot on this podcast. They have an excellent culture. They use agile ways of working extensively and they also have a a very remote friendly culture too. So that will be an excellent role for someone who's really passionate about joining a company with a great mission and great culture. And there's a lot of learning to be done on the job as well. I've got a real attitude of experimenting and learning and it's a perm role. And they've got some great people there at the moment as well. They have excellent people there. So I was t- telling you about the uh, the open source project. We're all remote, either in country Victoria or you know, we're in Spain, France, the UK, um, where else? Norway, Canada, California. I think there's someone in Texas. So we're all over the shop. And so remote working is sort of, it's what we do. We don't have co-location pretty much at all except four of us once a month here in Melbourne and so it's very interesting looking at the way that we've had to set ourselves up to make that actually work and it's all about the processes it's all about the communication and a lot of the things that we that we go out and teach organizations are you sort of planning out really strongly in this open source project so when you think about things like um, running an effective wall we can't run it physically so we we're, we use GitHub for ours, but um, we have to keep that update. We have a roadmap in the same tool um, and we have processes clearly defined so that people know to expect and how to get involved. But the things that keep up the sort of camaraderie and the, the virality of the, the team, animated GIFs <laughs> in a channel or on a, um, a GitHub story or a VR, they make you laugh. They bring this kind of human presence, I think, to what is very dry and, you know, you, it's really hard to convey in words, but when you have a, um, a GIF, it just, it makes everyone laugh and feel closer, which is quite hilarious. We actually toured in Vato today and we got a, a lot of their tips as well on remote working and similar things. Because you don't have that incidental face-to-face water cooler conversation, it's great to replicate that some way. Yeah, it really is. We have a monthly catch-up, a global hangout, and we start all of those sessions with a tell us what's going on in your, your OFN world, and we end with tell us something that's 
glorious about life at the moment, you know, and it allows us to actually be who we are alongside of what we do. Yeah, excellent. Okay, I got one you may know, I think you know, last Saturday, Tony and I went to the 10 year birthday celebration of the Agile and Scrum user group in Melbourne, which was a great day. We spent a lot of it just reflecting. People who had been there over the years just did like 10 minute slots on their impressions. Every one of us got a particular year to talk about. Martin Kearns kicked off because he'd started the the group, which I didn't even know. So we've got a bit of a background and history of the group. Craig talked about how he and Ed and Anton, who sadly passed away, had kept the group going. It was a great day of reflection, just a nice coming together of the community where a bunch of us that really love this way of working and coaching got to get together and fill our cup, I guess. I recorded my talk um, and edited 18 ums out of it. And I'll be playing that as a bonus episode in about an hour's time after this one drops. Great. Uh, Anything contentious coming out of it? Yes, interestingly. Well, what was actually kind of good was Mark Richards, who is probably one of the most, if not the most well-known, safe trainer and practitioner in Australia, probably him and M. Campbell both are the best known for that, was there and you know, we started talking about frameworks and there was a bit of to and fro and discussion about frameworks and about, you know, how how it's divided our community a little bit. That was good discussion, pretty constructive. Um, was it contentious? No, not, as, as contentious as a bunch of systems thinkers could be together in a group. Ha. So pretty friendly. I, I did see something on LinkedIn, I think, around female representation, women. So what sometimes annoys me at meetups and conferences, etc., is that quite often we hear majority male voices. So even if we've done the work to get women to attend and women to speak, when it comes to open floor question and answer stuff, it's often dominated by male voices. And I could tell there's a lot of male champions for change there, which is great. They were inviting women into the conversation, which was great, but I didn't see enough women asking questions. Um, so I just wanted to break the seal on that by asking the question, which so I asked Michelle, you know, what can we do to get to hear more women's voices, you know, in, in the conversation? And she is a coordinator for Yao, so she had lots of great ideas and then blogged afterwards. So it was good to see that that, that whole day and that reflection sparked off a, a bunch of blogs and articles as well, I guess. Yeah. That's a, a good lead into something that I have been um, looking into in a little bit over the last couple of weeks um, along as part of the Open Source Project. Tim Berners-Lee has uh, started a new, a new web likes to think of it, um, a thing called Solid, which is about giving data back to the people so that we own and control and give permission um, to use our data rather than having other people take it as a sort of, I don't know, right word, a leverage for um, using us as the product um, and, and our data. And the, the connection is I, I looked on the um, Inrupt. Inrupt is the social enterprise that he's started to roll out um, solid commercially and I looked on the who are the interrupters um, on the page and it was white man, white man, white man, Indian man, women. Yeah. 
Uh, it was, and so it, it just I wrote to a friend and said, "Oh, it just feels like the, the, we still haven't got it, and and something that has to happen alongside of um, taking back control of our data is also changing up the very representation of how we allow for diversity in this new web." Excellent. And so you said it was called interrupters, like disruptors, but inside is that? Yeah, I think within the internet, he's uh, looking at taking what we've got, um, but turning it into something new. Yeah. I wonder what he, maybe you know, because you're, you've you been looking at Solid, but what does he <laughs> feel about what he started here with his internet thing? Solid is an MIT project that he's done through there, led by him. And so he wrote, uh, he started Interrupt, which is the sort of commercial arm, and then he's got an open letter to the community about it. And so some of the sort of quotes from that, I've always believed the web is for everyone. That's why uh, I and others fight fiercely to protect it. Um, and, it and, you know, he believes that we've, we've managed to create a better and more connected world, but for all the good we've achieved, the web has evolved into an engine of inequity and division swayed by powerful forces who use it for their own agendas. So I think that pretty much sums up how he feels about the web as it is right now. It's kind of like a mirror to the world in lots of ways, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I wonder at what point did he, you know, disassociate himself from it, from that invention and feel like, well, I've set this idea free now. Interesting one, isn't it? Very interesting, yeah. Maybe get him on the podcast one day. That'd be awesome. Could you arrange that, gee? That would be I great. Try my best. <laughs> That'd be good. Hey, I just wanted to also mention that um, I've got another podcast episode, which I will put a link to this one. It's called Engineering Culture by InfoQ. And it's Shane Hasty um, interviews interesting people on that. A lot of the time it's very software and engineering related. This particular episode includes Sandy Mamoli and it's on Holacracy. She implemented Holacracy for a company called, what are they called? A company called Snapper. And so it's her and this guy, Mickey Shiksai. And yeah, interesting, like my reflection on listening to the episode is, okay, yet another framework and that comes with the the good things and the bad things. So I think that when you implement these frameworks, you can often get distracted by the framework itself instead of just the purpose of getting better, I suppose. But Sandy made a great point which landed with me, which was that if you're going to do it, you should use the words, even though they're weird words and we're not used to the words that are kind of involved around holacracy. And her analogy is, you know, when they first started using Agile and people said, what is this role product owner? And everyone said, oh, don't worry, just call it product manager. It means the same thing, but it doesn't mean the same thing. And if you intentionally use the words, it's a signal that you're actually doing something different and that makes people understand it's different and, and they pay a bit more attention to it. So I thought that was a good insight, but there's lots, there's heaps of good insights in there, to be honest. Yeah, it sounds great. Mm. She's very open and honest and very insightful. Yeah, it's one of the, the, what you're talking about, one of the key questions I always get asked moving around is what's the difference between a product manager versus a product owner versus a product lead Mm. uh, versus a product designer. The lack of codification because that intent behind the words is just being um, bastardized really, really brings that point home. I also want to mention that I interviewed Erin from Spotify. She's from Melbourne, from the Agile community in Melbourne. She listens into the podcast, so hello to Erin. 
Hi, Erin. It's a great way for her to get gossip about what's going on back home. I will publish that as a bonus probably next week. But keep your eye on your podcast apps and you never know, I might drop it early. What else you got for me, Dee? I've got a podcast recommendation. It is called The Secret History of the Future, What Tech's Past Tells Us About Tomorrow. So this is joint collaboration between The Economist and Slate. There's a Tom Standage is a deputy editor of The Economist, Seth Stevenson, senior writer at Slate. Uh, and they talk about how these marvellous advancements we're having in technology can be linked in terms of our allowance for it, our, our take up of it to um, moments in the past. So an example is um, they've got one, point, one episode that's about driverless cars and the big furor that kicked up when a driverless car killed somebody over in the US. They went back and looked at, well, what happened when cars first came out? So the first pedestrian was killed by a car in New York in 1899, and uh, a newspaper warned that the automobile has tasted blood. And so the same kind of feeling or the same kind of community sentiment was was evident when cars first came in and um, started taking over from horse and cart. They, they talk through that connection between, well, we had this kind of a reaction 120, 130 years ago. We can take what's happened in the past to understand how things might happen in the future. And, you know, it's we look back at people resisting technology change, but I have to say I have a lot of empathy. I watch my children use devices and I think, you know, this can't be good, a, a child a childhood that has um, such domination with technology. But then I think, am I just standing, sounding like the Flat Earth Society resisting change that is inevitably going to come? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I always think about the, um, the ATM moment. So that moment, my grandmother doesn't want to use an ATM. She said, I'd rather go into the bank. It's no deal. I don't want to use an ATM. I don't want to use a computer, a machine. And I always think, okay, what's going to be my ATM moment? When am I going to hit that point where it's, no, you cannot put something in my brain. You cannot augment me. Is that going to be my thing? Yes. Change gets harder the older you get. Yes, I would agree. Although I don't want to join that group of people that is old. (laughs) No, only ever older. Yeah. We were lucky enough to have... Nigel talk at a breakfast this morning for us. Yes, Um, it was amazing. It was amazing and he's such a futurist as well and I want to publicly thank him on this podcast to all of our listeners, however many there may be. He is an amazing speaker. He's What I want to say is just when you think that you're really with the times and keeping up with the future, then you go and watch a talk by Nigel and, and he really gets you scared about the future in some ways. He he really is looking a few steps ahead and bringing yeah. it home about what the world will potentially be like not too far in the future. Yes, food for thought. So, and he's he's a storyteller. Yes. And and it's so important to have storytellers to, to take us along on the journey, I think. Indeed, yeah. He really connects to the audience um, and even though he swears a lot, which is also entertaining. Oh, but it just, it fits. Yeah, it really does. Thanks, Dee. Let's hope everyone has a great weekend. Yes, thank you. I uh, will see you soon. You sure will because I have your keepy cup. Oh, you do indeed. 
Alright, thanks. To subscribe to the weekly reboot, hit subscribe in your podcast platform or get it delivered to your inbox weekly by dropping us a line at rebootme at rebootco.com.au and we'll look forward to hearing from you there. And from all of us, we hope you have yourself a wonderful weekend.